Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining together again here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock. I know it's not always easy for us to get together like this, but it seems to be working. And for the season we're in, it's the best we have, and God is blessing. This tonight is going to be a continuation in the book of Revelation. We decided last week on a Wednesday evening that we would take that Wednesday, this Wednesday, and next Wednesday, should the Lord tarry and and allow us to continue, in order to take a brief overview of the book of Revelation. Revelation is divided for our purposes in this series into three separate divisions. These divisions, number one, beginning and ending with chapter one, John is being obedient to write the things which he saw. What does it mean whenever Jesus said to John, write the things which you see? Well, the things that John saw, those things indicate to us the truth, the firm foundation, the things that John is confirming, the things that Jesus showed him. What are some of those things? Well, Jesus showed him and confirmed to him that he was alive. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who washed you from your own sins in my own blood. And I have made you to be a kingdom of priests unto God my Father. What a wonderful thing to realize that Jesus is confirming He's confirming through John, even in our day, about the things that John saw, that Jesus is the ruler over all the earth and over all the kings. You know, it's not some president or some chancellor or some dictator, perhaps, that imagines that they are in charge. Jesus is in charge. And this is what John confirmed whenever he said, this is what I see. Jesus is showing me this is the truth. He's in charge. Well, our second division in the book of Revelation tonight is going to begin with chapter 2. Chapter 1, the first division, the things which John saw. Chapters 2 and 3, the things which are. The things which were happening in John's day. And then beginning in chapter 4, the things which will be after this. So for tonight, let's talk about the things which are. The book of Revelation was written by most accounts about the year 95 A.D. Now, this is the very end of the first century. The church has been in existence now for 70 years plus. And the church is strong and it's growing and it has reached the whole known world. Can you imagine that these 11 disciples, 12 counting the Apostle Paul, can you imagine that that they have carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to their whole known world in only one generation? And now, the last living disciple of Christ, the last living apostle of the Lamb. Here, John... He's living in the town, in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very important hub for the Roman Empire. It was a port city through which all of the Asian continent, the Eurasian continent, had been reached. It's in the current town, or in the current country of Russia. 
And John is going to write the things that are. Jesus is going to begin to talk to him. And if you'll notice in your Bible, if you happen to have a red letter edition like I do, you'll notice in your Bible that, that you know, the majority uh, um, you know, of, of, of chapters uh, 2 and 3, in fact, in totality, are all in red. That's because Jesus is speaking to John about the things that are. And John is going to record these messages, seven messages one message for each one of the seven churches in Asia. Now remember, John is in the town of Ephesus. Ephesus figures into the New Testament quite a lot. In fact, we find out about Ephesus beginning in Acts chapter 18 and then more fully in chapter 19 as the Apostle Paul is working there and teaching in a school there for two, perhaps even two and a half years that he lived there. He taught in a school and raised up disciples which were sent through all of Asia. In fact, the Bible says that, that all of Asia heard the word of God from Ephesus. As Paul was teaching there, God did special miracles by his hand. What it does not say in the book of Ephesians or in the book of Acts is that John also lived there. John perhaps moved there during the great persecution, maybe in the year, you know, um, 68, 69, 70. We aren't sure, but it's reasonable to imagine. And we also are told by um, um, many theologians and scholars and also by historical and traditional accounts that John took along with him Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she also lived out her life there in Ephesus. And if you visit there, in fact, come go with me sometimes, I lead to uh, tour groups to Ephesus and when all of this is over I'm hoping to pick back up with those groups not only there but also into Israel and I can show you uh, just marvelous things there that that have been preserved not only in Ephesus but all the way around that circuit all the way to Laodicea. Ephesus was also the place that Timothy pastored. Timothy, uh, perhaps by the time the book of Revelation is written, perhaps Timothy is already dead and uh, we, we, we see no evidence of him here. But uh, he has been the pastor of this church appointed by the Apostle Paul and understood as the leader. The church in Ephesus grew to perhaps, you know, uh, there, are, there are many uh, scholars imagined from fifteen to 65,000 people during the time that Timothy was the leader of that church. Now the Apostle John, late in life, takes up his pen He's written to us the things that are. He's confirmed the truth that we are washed by the blood of Christ. And we are kings and priests in God's eyes. Kings and priests of God. And that you know, Jesus is alive forevermore. And Jesus has the keys of death and hell. Isn't that great? Well, Now he begins to write to us about the things that are. Because John was living in what we call the church age. The same age we're living in. The age before the tribulation of the last days we're still in this church age today and he begins to write he's going to write seven times almost the same thing just to a different church in the beginning and in the end and then he describes what each church needs for example in chapter 2 and verse 1 he writes to the angel in the church of Ephesus he's going to talk to his home church first this word angel is a very interesting word it's the word angelus and it, in the Greek, uh, can mean angel or perhaps the more common word messenger. 
We know, for example, that this word being used 186 times in the New Testament, 72 times in just the book of Revelation, uh, throughout the word of God, you know, it, it refers, for example, in James 2.25, where the Bible says, by faith, Rahab, when she had received the messengers that were sent to her by Joshua, those two, you know, spies, right there, that word messengers in James 2.25 is the word angelus. As well, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Galatian church, he says to them in chapter 4 and verse 14 that, that you received me as though I were an angel from God. Same word, Angelus. This refers, as he's writing, it refers to perhaps a messenger, a person who was sent there by God with a message or perhaps a literal angel. You know, I believe in angels and, of course, the Apostle Paul did too, and so did everyone in the New Testament. Angels on assignment. Many people imagine, and many scholars, especially in traditional Jewish teachings, believe that every person has an angel, every city has an angel, every nation has an angel, and uh, these angels that are sent by God to watch over different levels of authorities, you know, your family has an angel, for example, then, uh, then these angels also have competing uh, uh, angels of darkness, dark forces. They stand against the dark forces coming against cities and nations. We see this also played out in some measure in the book of Daniel, as well as confirmed in other places. Now, I don't know for certain if this angel that John is writing to is a literal angel given charge over the churches. You know, each church, I believe, does have an angel. I know I have an angel. Uh, you might say, how in the world do you know you have an angel? Well, I don't want to get spooky or scary, but, you know, I believe, as did all of the people in the New Testament, that, you know, I believe in angels and I believe in divine intervention. And at one point in my life, many, many years ago, in the year 1981, um, I happened to have uh, had an encounter with an angel. How did I know he was an angel? He told me he was. Well, what makes, I mean, anybody could say that. Not in the middle of the night, sitting on the headboard of my children's bed, telling me that he had been sent from God to me to help take care of my family and to protect us. It was a very difficult time in my life, and we were under and in some danger. And there, I asked him what his name was. Uh, you know, uh, you might think me a little nutty, but if you think me nutty, you're thinking the, the New Testament is nutty as well. Uh, because it's right in line. He told me his name was Rubel. Very interesting. I have had occasion a time or two to call upon him. Now, I don't know if this particular angel in the church of Ephesus, it was one of those angels that is, you know, or whether this was a pastor, because this word also refers to a pastor. Whether he's writing to the pastor, the messenger, the human messenger that God has set in the church of Ephesus as the leader of the church. But, you know, some theologians believe it was a pastor. Some theologians believe it was a literal angel, as you and I might imagine when we hear the word angel. You know, I happen to believe it can be both and should be both. I believe that the words that are written in the church age are written to churches, to leadership in churches, to pastors in churches, and also that there's spiritual oversight in a greater dimension than what we can see with our natural eyes. I believe 
that there are more things than we can imagine going on in the spirit world behind us. And so here, as John has already said, he was standing in the midst, Jesus, he saw Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks, you know, there in chapter 1, standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks, those seven golden candlesticks, those were the churches. And he had seven stars in his hand. Well, these seven stars were the angels of the churches. And I believe that God has given charge, his holy angels charge over us. And they are messengers and servants for those who be heirs of salvation. Well, seven messages. You know, perhaps, uh, Father, you are an angel, a messenger of God to your family. Perhaps, you know, a single mom, you're a messenger sent by God, commissioned by God, standing over your household as an angel, and perhaps you should listen as well. Businessman, national leader, community leader, Maybe you are a messenger of God. That's what we're told in Romans, the 13th chapter, that you're a messenger of God. You're a servant of God. You are sent to protect and provide for, to correct, to instruct. Maybe pastor, maybe you are the angel sent by God to make sure that your church hears the message. These seven churches represent the church age in which we are still in and these seven churches let me just show you a picture of where these seven churches were okay okay if you if you can see this picture here this is a picture of of the uh, uh, currently we're in the far western shore of turkey okay in that day it was your asia and so let, let me show you right here see where ephesus is and then if you will look up from ephesus you will begin to see, you know, Smyrna and Pergamos, you know, the kingdom of Pergamon. And then as you went right on around, it follows all the way down, you know, through, uh, through all the other seven churches, making a little arc, as it were, right on down to Laodicea, the last church. These seven churches existed in John's day. And John was close enough, and he was, he was the only living apostle, the only living testimony that walked with Jesus and, and talked with Jesus and saw the miracles and, 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 and witnessed the resurrection. And here he is no doubt a great influence in these particular churches here in Asia, which were just a short distance from him. And he, he, he knows their pastors and whether the pastors, whether the leaders of the churches had come to visit John in Ephesus or whether he's just writing a message to them and thereby to us, encouraging them and telling them what each one of them need to do in order to please Jesus, well, that's debatable. But what is not debatable is that John has a message for these churches. And each one of these seven churches, individually and collectively, exists in every generation. Each one of these churches uh, you know, uh, uh, exists today. And as well, we believe that these churches represent periods of time. As we go all the way around... You know, it's reason to imagine that today, perhaps we are in the Laodicean period. Perhaps we're in the last days, in the days whenever the strongest message, you know, maybe many of these things apply to you, your life, your family, your business, your church. But something also applies on a world scheme level. 
And this message to Laodicea no doubt does. He writes, you know, verse 1 of chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. He writes in verse number 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. He writes in verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamos. He writes in verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he writes to the angel, the church of Sardis, or in Sardis. Chapter 7, excuse me, chap, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And then finally, in verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Laodicea is a beautiful city. I've been there many times. The archaeological ruins of that city have been so preserved. And as you stand there, you can look from there over to Heropolis. And you can see how those uh, waters that flowed from, from uh, that hot springs there and, and the salt and the mineral. It looks like a snow-capped mountain just a few miles away. And the waters are so hot and depositing minerals on the top of that mountain. And they run down to Laodicea. And the water that was gathered there in Laodicea everyone knew in that region that it was by the time it got there it was neither hot nor cold but it was tepid it was lukewarm and that's the picture that John was given and the words that he was given perhaps in your life and I encourage you to read chapter 2 and chapter 3 perhaps in your situation maybe you know you need to return to your first love maybe you have you know uh, left your first love Perhaps there are other indications in these other uh, words. Maybe, maybe you have suffered, you know, uh, Jezebel, uh, that 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 seductress, to teach in your church or in your family or to rule in your business. Maybe, uh, maybe you have, you know, the way of the Nicolaitans, or maybe you have gone the way of of Balaam, and maybe what you're doing, you're doing for gain. You know, God forbid that 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 your church or that your business or that your family uh, or your nation was just all about money, all about money. You know, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that happen in this church age that need to be addressed. And I believe that you should read every one of these and take every one of them serious. Is it a word to you? You know, buy of me gold tried in the fire. But to every one of the churches, there are two great messages. These are the two great messages that end every encouragement, every correction, reproof, every rebuke, every challenge. And they even end every word of praise that Jesus has. No matter what's going on in your world, you know, there are some things no doubt you're doing good and, and Jesus wants to thank you for. But there are probably also some things you need to change in your life. And for that, you know, Jesus is encouraging you to change. What are the two great messages? At the end of every letter to the church, John ends by quoting Jesus and saying, To him who overcomes. You see, the church age is a message of overcoming.
John lived in this age, and it is a message of overcoming. Why? Because of chapter 1. Because of chapter 1, we can have chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because Jesus is alive, because we have been washed in his blood, because he has presented us to God as kings and priests, because he has the keys of death and hell, we can live victorious. We can overcome without respect to what the situation is in your life. And most likely, you can find your situation of life in these seven letters somewhere. There's a message of overcoming. But there's also another message. The message to each church ends with, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus has something to say to you today. He has a message from the church, through the church, to the church, and out to the world. Let me read to you the last of chapter 3 beginning in verse 19, because I believe we're living in this period of Laodicea. And as a messenger to the church, as, as a pastor, as a leader, let me tell you what I believe Jesus is saying. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church do you have an ear tonight be zealous for the things of God repent of your sins offer your life to him overcome overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony